0: Merry Christmas, or happy Advent, as the worship leaders would say. You may be seated. Gosh, it's so fun to be at church on Christmas Eve on the fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's great to be with you. Um, gosh, everyone's thinking of all their plans that they have today, so this is the beginning. And you saw all those uh, sugar treats out there, so your whole diet is shot, so you can just enjoy today. Hope you enjoy today. Well, um, when I was uh, when I was younger, I uh, in my youth pastor days, um, every month a bunch of us youth pastors would get together for lunch, and we would have lunch. We talk about ministry, and we talk about all the things that are happening in our world, and um, and this, these guys became really good friends of mine. And uh, and one uh, one of these times, one of my youth pastor friends came in, and he had he just he just blurted out, "He's like, you'll never guess what happened. My parents helped me buy a house." I'm like, whoa. That's pretty awesome. And we're like, how does that even happen? Because I want to know how that happens, right? And um, and so he's telling the story that basically um, his parents were a little older, and they were doing their some family planning, and they realized, well, we could wait and grind down our money, or we can share some of our inheritance now and then help their kid get into a house and help them, you know, launch their life, Mike. That sounds incredible, and we're all just like listening because we know we were all young in our twenties. We didn't know how it all worked, and so and and we don't understand how, what parent from the parents' perspective or from the financial perspective. And so we're just taking notes. And we're like, this is the greatest news we've ever heard, and I just kind of put that in the back of my mind, and uh, and it just and grew. And uh, and this was right around the time I was training for a marathon. So I was doing this long run and I was doing a 17 mile run. I'll never forget. It was 17 miles. I'm running for three hours. And if you've ever done a very long run, your brain does wild things, right? And so for the first hour I'm running and I'm running very slowly, but all of a sudden I get this thought in my head of like, I'm my dad's only son. I'm my dad's only kid, And there's no way that he just wants to just hold on to all of his money all the way to the point of death. I bet he would want to help his only son get into a home. Huh. Well, then I keep running. Hour two. All of a sudden, hour two, I'm like, that actually is really good stewardship and really wise for my dad to share his resources with his only son because he has so much. And I'm just the beginning of my life. And I'm like, this actually makes a lot of sense. Well, by hour three, right? I don't, I don't have enough oxygen. I don't have enough blood sugar, and it is it is crystal clear that it is God's will that my dad is going to like give up some of his inheritance and let me be the beneficiary of his hard earned labor, so that I could live this life um, that I desire. And it was and it was funny because by the third hour, I'm like, it is God's will. It was weird how this little thing of like, this is what I would like to being like, this is God's will. And so I come home and I immediately shoot off this email to my dad being like, it is God's will, what do you think about this idea? And, um, and then of course I like take a shower and I get some blood sugar and I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> so my dad in his very dadly way he goes, hey, come on, you know, why don't you come to the city and let's have a conversation. And so I'm like, yeah, let's go to the city. And so I go, I don't leave my, I leave my family behind, just me, me and my dad having like a manly meal. And what's wild is all of a sudden it became very clear that my dad was not going to be in the lane of gifting me uh, this good news gift of a house, which <laughs> I didn't make sense. Instead, what he chose to do is put on his good advice hat. And his good advice was like, you know, son, you need to think about property taxes and 20% down and, you know, 30% of your income should blah, blah, blah. And you know, what? I think if you get to the point that you're ready to buy a house, you know, your stepmother and I, we, we might be able to help cover some of the closing costs. I'm like, ugh. Oh. Thanks, Dad. And, uh, but I remember, driving, I remember driving home being like, oh, that kind of hurt. And that was kind of rough, and it was an overswing. Like, it was all the things, like, all jumbled into once. But I realized there's this brutal, brutal, incredible difference between a good news and good advice, right? Good news is this house is for you. Somebody did all the work. They accomplished all the things. They saved for all the years. They did all the work and they gifted this thing. It, was, it is done. Good news is something that somebody has done for you. Didn't take anything from you to do, right? Good advice is, hey, this is what wise people do. This is the way to get from here to there. And now it's on you to walk the path. You need to save the money. You need to be disciplined with this. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. To do this. And if you get to the end, then you will have arrived. And what I love about the Christmas story so much is that this is a story of good news. Because I think so often in the religious world, when you think of religious framing, it is just good advice. How do you live a good life? How do you make peace with God? What do we need to do? And we want to do. We want to work. We don't want to be dependent on somebody else. We want the free goodies, but we don't want to be dependent on someone else to help us do the things that we think we should be able to do. I love this passage in John chapter 14. Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples what this good news is all about. And he says, my father's, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, wouldn't I not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? The good news is that Jesus has done everything for us. Jesus has gone ahead of us. Jesus is preparing this house for us. He's not like, hey, while you're on earth, you need to collect all the goodies. You need to do all the work. You need to save all the money. You need to get all the lumberjack skills and so that you can build a house with me one day. He's like, no, I have done the work. I am building the house for you. This is good news. And I hope that this Christmas that we're going to come to learn and come to experience is that this good news actually compels us. It actually transforms us. And it's not because of work we have to do. It's not here's the good advice that you need to do so that you can be a changed person. It is, well, when we come to know and understand in our head, in our hearts, in our whole being, the good news, then our life is naturally and forever changed. So that's what we're going to take a look at today, how we are compelled by the good news. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go back to the story of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. So why don't you pull out a Bible in front of you? We're going to read through the whole passage together. And if you get there first, would you just yell out the number in the Pew Bible so those of us who don't know how to find it can get there? So in the Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke is the third gospel, but it's the page number. 10:26, and we're going to start in chapter two, big two, little eight, and it says this. So there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news. I do not bring you good advice." I don't provide, he didn't, they didn't come and say, this is the good pathway. They said, this is the good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace, to those on whom his favor rests. Well when the angels had left them, they gone into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, and when they had seen him spread and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in, their, in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were, which, sorry which were just as they had been told, this is the word of the Lord, and it's so fun to hear the story of the shepherds. And we're just going to begin right at the beginning. It says that the good news compels us to share with others. It says in verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word. They spread the word. The Greek word is, is ignorisa, something like that, Egnorisan. I have no idea how to speak Greek, but that's how, what it says. But just you can imagine, it doesn't just say spread the word. They made known. They made known this good news. They experienced this good news. They saw this incredible thing, and then they made known to the world that this little baby was born, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And what I love about this word, about this Greek word about being made known is that we casually share news, right? Like if I bump into you and we're having coffee and I'm thinking about, you know, the conversation is getting a little stale, so I'm trying to like rack my brain of like, gosh, what's something good that happened? Or what's something that's going on that you could tell a story and you kind of banter back and forth. And you kind of have passive ways in which you share your life with people. But when something incredible happens, you make it known, right? You make it known that this thing happened, good or for ill, right? I had a really hard meeting happen the other day. I'm like, oh my goodness, this was, this was a hard meeting. It actually ended really well. And I got me like drove her to jail's house. I'm like, jail, you have to know this thing that happened. And he's like, why are you at my house? So I had to make known this thing, right? That's what we do. We have to make known. And what I love is uh, this is the season. It's Christmas. It's a season of love. Everyone's falling in love. Mobina just got engaged last week, right? Mobina and Donnie just got engaged last week. and like, Ben, you have to know that we just got engaged. And like her arm was like all hanging like this because she has this giant rock, you know, just like <laughs> hanging on her hand. And you see it on like social media. You see it everywhere that it's like something incredible has happened and you have to make it known. Good news does something to us that we have to make known. And it's such a bummer because being a pastor, being Christians, being Christians in Marin, it's like this weird thing. Like no one wants to hear about it. No one wants to hear from us. I'm on a plane traveling somewhere. Someone finds, I like, it's like three hours. Don't talk to me because the second they find out I'm a pastor, the conversation always gets weird. It used to like 15 years ago, it was really sweet, but now it's just weird. Like, don't talk to me. And it's so sad because... The truth of the truth is that we have the most incredible news, the best news. The bummer is I think we've mixed up that we think we have really good advice. Turns out nobody wants advice. Hey, I see your jeans are a little tight. Let me help you with that, right? No one, <laughs> no one wants that. But we have good news. And I think, I think that's what's changed is that Christians have thought that we are good advice people and that we should share our good advice at the point of a fire hose with every single person instead of, no, we are ambassadors of the good news. Because if we really get that this good news, then we're compelled to share it with people. We're compelled to let people know what God has done for us and what has God done for us. The, Luke says, right, that the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born. I love Paul. In uh, Romans chapter five, Paul goes through this whole chapter explaining exactly what is happening. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, because of his work, not the good advice, these are the things that we do and then we're gonna be okay, but because of the work that Jesus has done, the good news of Jesus, we've been justified. Right? We all recognize that we have angst that we have conflict, that we have tension with people. We all get in fights. We all, uh, and we, that's just the worst feeling ever, right? When there's tension between you and somebody else. And if we're quiet in our soul long enough, I think we know, gosh, there's tension between us and God, right? Or our higher power. Or however. Every human all over the world is like there's tension between us and the universe and how we're made. And for those of us who know God, we know there's tension between us. And no one likes that tension. We want to be people who live at peace. Can you imagine never having conflict again with somebody? Can you imagine in your marriage or at your work or with your kids or with the, your neighbor that you are with, lived at peace with everybody? Like, what would you fight about? What would you talk about? Like, it'd be a whole different deal that if we lived at peace with one another, if we lived at peace with God. And that is the good news. Jesus came, he justified us. What it means is he paid the entire price. Whatever the offense was between us and God, he covered it. So there's no more advice. It's not like, hey, I'll get you 90% of the way there. And my dad's like, and then, and then I'll help with the closing costs. No, that's not how it works. The entire price has been paid. And what I love about justification is this idea that we have been made right with God, we have peace with God, and it's just like Advent. Just like in the Advent, we, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, we celebrate that Jesus is coming right now, and we long for him to come again. Justification in the exact same way does that universal good news thing. We've been justified with God, which means every issue every sin, every conflict, every stupid thing we've done, every hurtful, evil thing we've ever done has been paid for. We've been set free. We've been given a house for free. But what I love is being a Christian is not just like this thing that happened. I love Michael as a worship leader, right, is in Advent, is in the Advent liturgy for decades But because he's current, because he's still working out his faith, he can still get emotional and be touched and moved by the story of God because God is still doing something now. And so justification isn't just that God did this thing. Justification means that we have peace with God, which is wild. Imagine, like, we actually have a friendship with God. Because of Jesus, the good news is that we get to have a friend. It's great to have friends in the world. Sometimes we struggle even making friends in the world, but we get to have a friend With the creator of the universe, he's awesome and holy and all-powerful and deserves to be worshiped till the end of time. But even in his posture towards us, he longs for us to be his friend. I just love that. It's his incredible gift. And not only does justification solve the problem in the past, not only does justification give us friendship with God now, justification means that we get to live in forever fellowship with God and with God's people. How good is that? That's good news. That's not good advice, right? This is good news. So, right, man, if you are broken, if you are lonely, if you are in conflict, if you are, right, wrestling with grief or whatever, right? All those things, the good news is that Jesus has come and made space for you to be adopted into his family, to be his friend, to experience forgiveness and peace and grace. That is good, good news. The second thing is that good news compels us to respond with deep awe and gratitude. I love how it says this here. It says in verse 20, the shepherds, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which they had just been told about. And I think this is where sometimes we get a little messed up as Christians too. I mean, there's so much to learn about God. We love having good theology. We want to get it all right in our head. We can think about it forever forever. But what is incredible is the shepherds went and glorified God for what they had seen and what they had heard, for which they had been told. And this is the really, this is kind of the the, the challenge, I think, for us Christians, is that we need to recognize that our intellectual understanding of Christianity, which is great and incredible, actually doesn't get us there. We've been told about it, but it's not until we actually experience God. It's not until we actually get to see and hear God. And the bummer is I have no way to help you with that part, right? There's no way as a pastor, as a worship leader, as a church staff that we get to go do this for you. That is, I wish that would be the case, but that is the act of faith. That's the part we need to take the mustard seed of faith. And we say, okay, God, I know these things to be true, but I want to encounter you. And I know that encountering God is a real thing because I have friends who have like bailed on the church, right? They've just said, what's happened in the church is just messed up. I don't understand it. I'm out. They've wanted to bail on God, but they go, gosh, you know what? When I was in my 20s, God met me. I encountered God, and he did this thing. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what's going on with it. I don't know how that works itself in my life. I don't know what's going on in organized religion, but I know that I met God, and God did this thing. And we need to be people who want to encounter God. And it's interesting, as a parent of teenagers, I'm thinking a ton about gosh, I want my kids to know this. I want my kids to know this. I want my kids to not do this. I want my kids to not do this. And realizing at the end of the day, knowing these things, not doing those things is actually not gonna get them there. They're gonna have to actually encounter God. God in some supernatural way is gonna have to meet them and encounter them the way that he's encountered me and the way that he's encountered many of you. And so my prayer for you, my hope for you, and for me, is that we would have great theology in our head. We would know the good news deep in our guts. We would correct our weird religiosity and not be good advice people, but we would be good news people. And my humble prayer, because again, I don't know how to get us there. I can barely get there myself. I don't know how God's going to do it for my kids. I do know that it does happen, and I know that God is so generous and kind that if we take our mustard seed of faith, that God will actually meet us and encounter us. And then when we encounter the presence of God, we actually become good news people. When we not only know about the peace of God, but we've experienced the peace of God, we're good news people. And so that is my hope that you would not just be told, right, but that you would hear and see and experience the love of God and for our kids. Gosh, wouldn't that be incredible? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I love how generous and kind you are to your people. (laughs) I love how scripture refers to us as a stiff-necked people, um, as rebellious people, as stubborn people, and yet you are continually at the edge of your property, waiting, longing for any sign that your lost daughter or your lost son is heading home. And when you see them, you run and you embrace, you throw a party, you shout to the heavens that your lost child is home. And may we as your people who have been found, may we now be compelled to share your good news with our words and with our actions, that we have peace with you, that we've been made whole by you And may we actually encounter you so that we experience your love and your grace so we can be ambassadors of that love and grace to a world that desperately needs it. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for Christmas. Amen and amen. Well, in response to all that God has done in us and through us and for us, let's stand together and worship him for who he is.